Morning. How's everybody doing? It's Deville Di from Thoughts by Deville Di, your favorite podcast. And today I have a guest with me. You know, on Wednesdays I like to bring in somebody to talk to, somebody uh, that I feel like you guys would be interested in listening to. You know, uh, um, try to bring you guys some good content, some good people, and so on and so forth. So today. I have the pleasure of being here with author, um, illusionist. You may know her from know him from. Uh, oh, I lost my train of thought. You might know him from Don't Trust Andrew Mayne or Andy. You may have seen him on Shark Week, where he was a man with enough testicular fortitude to run up <laughs> a great white shark. How you doing, Andrew? I'm doing fantastic. Thank you for inviting me here. Awesome, awesome. So for, first. Like, uh, I don't know if you remember, but I was kind of tweeting back and forth with you during the the Shark Week episode. Okay. And, uh, that's what inspired me to say, hey, I want to talk to this guy. But um, what I want to know is, first and foremost, about that, whose idea was it to get in there with the shark? Was it you? Was it your, your agents? Or? It, it was, I mean, it was my idea. What I wanted to do originally was coming from my background is like I started off as a magician, you know, doing uh-huh. stage magic. And years ago, I thought, oh, man, what's cooler than tigers and lions and stuff? Great white sharks. Yeah, yeah. Not the most practical animal to work with. You can't really keep them in captivity. But I thought, oh, one day it'd be kind of cool to do something out in the ocean with great white sharks. And it started off with just like an idea of a magic trick or something like being in a spot and having disappearing in front of sharks. And then it evolved into like, you know, let's do something for real, because in magic, you have a lot of cool technology ways to try to make it look like you can't be seen or other things that are legit things that maybe get used in camouflage, et cetera. I'm like, let's take what I know as a magician and apply it in that situation and it quickly escalated from something that would have been me in some very safe environment to, you know, I'm at the bottom of the ocean in the middle of, you know, shark <laughs> feeding grounds. Man, that that was wild right there, man. Um, uh, um, just trying to understand the scope of what it would be like to be down there at the bottom of the ocean with a great white shark. For 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 us that that never have had that experience, and I hope I never have that experience unless it's under controlled circumstances. How big are one of these sharks? Like, is it like oh. a bus? Is it like a car? No, car size. These guys, so where I was at was we call it the Isle of Jaws, and it's actually a feeding ground where there's a bunch of seals. There's a seal colony, and so the sharks go there to go eat, and they swim around this island, and I was on a spot where you would get from the boat to the bottom of the ocean. Dozens of great whites could be coming up to see what's going on, and some of these suckers could be 14, 15 bigger feet bigger. And they're not just not just how long, but how big around they are. These yeah. are big ass sharks. Now, I'd been in the Bahamas for a few weeks prior with a tiger shark that was a 14 foot tiger shark. And that was a big creature. Um, and that was to get me used to having a big, you know, uh, 
apex predator there pushing me out of the way and great whites can eat a tiger shark so to be there with with over a dozen of them in no cage was just i can scare myself out of a swimming pool if i hear a splash like i'm <laughs> i'm terrified i'm terrified of sharks but you know you just sort of commit yourself to doing something and the next thing you know you find yourself standing you know on the floor of the ocean surrounded by great whites wow so um that suit how did mm-hmm. they, how long did it take them to put that together? So I went through a lot of different iterations on technology, and and if anybody is listening gets a chance to see the show, uh, I tried a really high tech version, which was a version of something else I'd made, which basically used LEDs to recreate what was in back of me, so I would blend it into the background, which was cool, but. You know, to try to get that thing ready and to go do that in the ocean is hard. Electronics in the ocean do not mix well. And it turned out camouflaging me visually in that sense didn't make as much, wasn't as necessary as I needed to do something visually, which I did at the end. I came up with another technology to help me match the ambient light, whatever. But sound, sound was a critical thing because great whites have an incredible sense of sound. And that's one of the ways they tell things apart. They can tell a fish in distress. Yeah. By the way, it splashes. They can tell where your boat is. They can they know what's going around very much by just listening to different sounds. Yeah, I saw that y'all was it, it was like a, a big deal trying to uh, suppress the like the the, mm-hmm. the bubbles and the noises that that everything was making. Mm-hmm. But man, like I was you you had me whole time. I was like, dang man, this is <laughs> this is dope. This is actually dope. It was it was intense, and it was because it was one of these things where, you know, we're testing out things that never been tested before. And when I had Andy Casagrande, who's the shark researcher, he's the camera guy, who was who's he's amazing. So I had him going down there with me to to capture it, and he's telling me like, he's this is the craziest thing he's seen somebody do. Then you then you got to check your own sanity. You're like, oh man, like it's like how do you know you're crazy? Well, one people tell you, <laughs> yeah, but um. All right, so now, like you, you said, you your background, you started off as a magician, mm-hmm. and then what's the difference between a magician and an illusionist? Uh, basically, whatever you want to put on your business card or your website, but the technically, illusionist tends to be people who do more stage magic and larger scale stuff, levitating somebody in the air, sawing a woman in half. That that's tended to be how you would describe an illusionist, but you know, illusion is a term anybody can describe however they want, but I, I like to the term illusionist because I'm like, you know, I like I like magic, but I like, like doing things on a bigger scale. Yeah, um, I was, and I saw the one where you put like, you were like putting the, the people's jewelry into their food. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that, that was, was me. Yeah, that that was awesome right there. I was like, wow, just. Can't trust Andrew Mayne, I guess. Yeah, that show was fun because, you know, when I had the opportunity to do it, I, I, if you have an opportunity to do something, you know, the thing to always think is, can I do something different? Something that's, you know, a little bit different than what people seen before. Not just, I'm going to do this instead of this inside of food, but literally like the expectation. So that was a show that was sort of structured around me picking one person to teach a lesson to. Mm-hmm. Which I of I of all people should not be teaching people lessons. Let's be clear about that. But that's fine for the conceit <laughs> of the show. And then along the way, I'd go mess with other people. And it was always like the idea was 
me building trust with somebody and then doing something kind of prankish or whatever, but making it funny enough that they'd be like, all right, this is funny. This is funny. I'm, I'm, you've annoyed me, but I like what you did. Cause that came from as a kid, I'd play pranks. So my brother played pranks and we're always into that. But my rule with my friends, when we played pranks is the person you prank has to appreciate it. They have to go, yeah. man, the effort is impressive. Not just like, Hey, I punched you in the face. Ha ha prank. You know, it's got to be like we would do things like in a high school, we would take post-it notes and we'd cover somebody's car entirely in post-it notes. It's a lot easier <laughs> to get them off than it is to put them on. So you're like, oh, that's clever. You know, like, all right. I And we use post-it notes because the, the, the adhesive on the back of it was designed to not be damaging the paint and stuff. So yeah. I would think this through, but you'd walk out to a parking lot and you'd see your entire car covered in post-it notes. And you're like, what the heck just yeah. happened? I think the biggest prank I ever pulled was uh, back in the football camp. I used to go to Art Monk's football camp up in um, it's it was up in the, the the Virginia area. I can't remember the exact city, but the best one we pulled off was they split everybody into separate teams. So one night we decided to go to the other. We were living in the dorm rooms of this college, George Mason University. Oh yeah, and so we mine's been, going there now. What'd you say? A buddy of mine just got accepted there. Sweet. So uh, we creep over to their dorms, and they had, like, one of those, the showers where it's multiple units in the shower. You know, everybody's showering at the same time. We wait till a good number of guys get in the shower, and then we just, like, hit their floor with all type of soaps and shampoos. And then you just, you just stand back and wait for it, for it to happen. It was a beautiful thing, man. Oh, man. Yeah, that's, that's, yeah, you, you figure out the right, and then you have to be ready for, the payback too. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely got to wait for the payback. They put um, uh, saran wrap on our toilets. <laughs> so it was an inter- It was an interesting morning. That next oh, morning, geez. when everybody goes, you know, the first thing you do in the morning, and then boom, it's it's coming right back at you. Yeah, my, you know, my the in the my family, my brother's the bigger prankster, my older brother, and the funny part about him is he's an FBI agent. Oh man! And so imagine being we uh, some great stuff. Yeah, and imagine you're working, you're an FBI agent working in an office with a guy who's, you know, has a gun and a badge and likes to play pranks. <laughs> so you know, when I was uh, when I was younger, my brother was started off as a Fort Lauderdale police officer, and he would have me play help him like play pranks on his friends. But I wasn't a cop, so like sometimes I'd get pulled over in the middle of the night because somebody had found out that I'd been involved, and like you know, yeah. I wouldn't know, you know, and then they'd be, it would be. Uh, you know, I was, I was always nervous whenever I drove around there because it was just like, you know, somebody's going to want to pay me back for something I did. Sweet. Uh, I got a question that someone uh, wanted me to ask you. Are you like into, uh, we know you do Shark Week, but are you, do you like keep up with events that have to have to go, um, that go along with, I get uh, what is it, the environment or like things that are going on with the sharks outside of just doing that? Yeah, you know, I grew up in South Florida and, you know, my family has been always very active in in uh, conservation issues, particularly when it comes to the water. Both my dad and my uncle are involved in uh, been involved in conservation groups and doing this. My father's an active fisherman, but, you know, you know, wildlife preservation. And so, you know, ever since as a kid, we would do things starting from waterway cleanups, you know, just going out in our little boats and going picking up trash out of the canals to, you know, when you go fishing, you know, go out there and go scuba diving. I'd go scuba diving sometimes just to pick up nets and stuff and things like that, to, you know, things that could be harmful to sea life. Yeah. 
And so that's been an issue. And, you know, my parents, you know, have been particularly my dad's super active, like, you know, like you can you know look him up and find out about stuff he's done as far as in Florida, as far as trying to prevent some of the pollution that comes from, you know, mm-hmm. some of the, the farms and the Everglades where stuff, the outflow goes all the way out into the ocean, which affects all that entire ecosystem. So, you know, that's that's something I've grown up with. That's always been an issue. You know, shark stuff, uh, something I got into later on, but mm-hmm. it's it's, you know, as is a whole picture sort of thing. And you know, I'm, I come from a very practical point of view. Like, like I'm like, like I'm like, I think like banning st- plastic straws is silly. Like, it doesn't yeah. solve the problem. Like, that's not the issue. You know, it, it's you got to really think of what the issue is. And I get feel, I feel, I feel strongly about things that distract from the real problems. Yeah. So, uh, what they wanted to, me to ask was, are you familiar with Port and Port and Starboard, the two killer whales that was that was like attacking the, the great whites? To the point where they're just—they were trying to figure out what they could do to help the great whites. I don't remember. I don't, I don't remember the names by the. Yeah, that's that's the thing that you know when, you know, you're out there with the great whites, as you realize that when I first went down into Isle of Jaws, my first mm-hmm. dive, I get out of the cage, and I look and I see this shark, a massive shark with a bite mark in the side of his face, like the wow. side, this big huge bite mark, and and it looked like a zombie. I look like a zombie and I'm thinking to myself, like, here's what I know about great whites is that there's only really one thing that eats them other than people. And that's great is killer whales. And yeah. so I don't know that it may have been attacked by another shark in some sort of little fight, but you see this sort of bite mark and you remember like, man, like, you know, there's always somebody there ready to eat you, <laughs> even if you're a great white. Yeah. Wow. That's wild, because um, the, the guy who was uh, discussing it with me when I was telling him that I was going to speak with you today, he was just telling me about how it got to the point where, you know, you can't interfere with nature and you can't stop nature. So it's like, and then, the but the great white was, um, or is, I'm not 100% sure, endangered. So it's like, we want to get these killer whales away from, from these sharks, but at the same time, that's that's nature. Like, we can't be out here messing with the killer whales. Yeah, you have like, yeah, you have different statuses, you have threatened and whatever. And, and you know, the there these populations, some are more threatened than others. And, and also, but then there's this sort of the natural order to things. And that's one of the things that uh, great white shark researchers, you know, one of the ways that, you know, that talk about, you know, really ballsy is they would basically, uh, you know, basically spear a shark with a tranquilizer. Right. And the shark lulls, they'd get the shark floated to the surface pull it to the side of the boat where they would then get blood samples and do the other things to check on us. So imagine you got a 15 foot great white shark on the side of your boat. That's unconscious and you're doing these samples from it. One of the biggest problems they would have is dolphins would see these great whites are incapacitated and they're like, let's get them boys. And they would go in and just (laughs) dive bomb them, trying to hit them in the gill slits. And that's, the researchers, it's a challenge because you want to understand as much as you can about the sharks to protect them. But meanwhile, dolphins and smart, and they're like, oh, all right, it's, let's it's get rid of that guy. You know, I hate that guy. <laughs> definitely, definitely. I mean, sometimes you gotta you gotta uh, seize your opportunities. With, yeah, you know, exactly. You know. It's like very mob. It's like a mob movie in the mafia. You know, he's like he's down. You know, Don Corleone's <laughs> in the hospital. Let's go whack him. <laughs> yeah, that's how like they say life is sometimes stranger than fiction. Because that that sounds like something straight off of a, a cartoon or some movie. Oh, yeah. the, hey, the dolphins say, "Hey, we the sharks over there incapacitated. Let's go rough them up a little bit." 
Dan, you know, it's it's and dolphins and porpoises are amazing. You know, everywhere, you know, my, my father lives in Palm City, Florida, and he's uh lives right on the water and he gets up every morning and fishes. And some days he'll go out there and he's he's fished, you know, throw the line out there, and then all of a sudden he feels a little jerk on the rod, or he'll catch something, he'll catch like a fish, start reeling it in, and the next thing it snaps, and a porpoise will pop out of the water and taunt him because it steals the fish <laughs> right off the hook. And then it'll be like, Hey, got it, and then swim away. And you're like, Man, like like it little pop out of water to taunt him just to be like, hey, hey. got you. Yeah. Oh, OK. So um, uh, a while back when I first contacted you, you said you was you was working on some deadlines for your books. What projects you, you working on now? Oh, man. So right now I I just turned in one book a few weeks ago, which is I have a new series coming out next year. Started the book called The Girl Beneath the Sea, and it's about a woman who is a police diver in Florida. And so she gets involved in cases where they find bodies and stuff in the water. And she's, you know, basically that's her starting point. And she's an expert at sort of looking at forensic stuff in the water. So that book, so I I I had to do, I wrote the sequel to that. So I finished that a couple weeks ago. And then I've been in the middle of doing revisions on the first one. And then I have I, I do I have two concurrent book series. So I have another book I have to start writing in four days because I got to turn wow. that in pretty soon. And so and then right now I'm in the middle of revision. So it's always this this time of year. It was crazy because I had Shark Week. I had two books due, revisions on another book. You know, everything sort of all hit at once. But I'm lucky wow. to have that lucky. I've, I've spent a lot of time waiting for something to happen. Yeah, and a... when everything happens at once, don't complain. Yeah, those are those are problems that I'm pretty sure a lot of people would, would love to have out here. Yeah, I and Omar, like I, you know, that's a thing that I I never try to take it for granted because you know I've spent a lot of time, a lot of years. Nobody knew who I did. Nobody knew what I did. Everything I did was something I'd write and just sit on my desk or nothing. Nobody'd ever see it. And before I got into TV, before I published books, and you know, you you want that opportunity to someday to do something on a bigger scale, and you know. I, there's not a moment I take anything for granted. You know, I've had things, I'll be on set and I'll be leaving set and it'll be a rough day and it'll been long, you know, things just took forever. And I'll be like, I'm so lucky that I got to go here and do this. You know, I'll walk out of a meeting with a director, you know, for like people want to option and maybe they meet, maybe like it turned out they didn't want to, you know, option it or whatever, or it didn't work out. I'd be like, man, how lucky am I? Don't, don't forget the fact that I just had the opportunity to go walk onto the Disney lot and talk to somebody about something. And and you see people who are really successful. And I think problems, they take it for granted, you know, yeah. and I try not to. What's kind of your, uh, your process you go into when you write, or do you like, are you one of those guys that kind of just lock yourself in into a room and, and, and like try to get into every, character that you that you're writing for or is it more just does it just flow for you or is it just like a you know off and on type of thing sometimes you're hot sometimes you're cold i you know it'd be i think all of those i i used to write more they call it seat of the pants right just sort of sit down and write and i used to do that more and it was sort of fun because you just sort of free flow but it turned out that as far as time spent versus usable content something that turned out to be a good story or something that's publishable I had to spend a ton of time to do that. And when I started dealing with deadlines and started to put more uh, serious pressure on myself, I analyzed my methods and I tried to figure out if I'm writing a book that's a commercial book, like a thriller, I know there needs to be beginning, middle and end. I need, I have to, I have to have a, 
I have to have a revelation at the end. I have to surprise you and I have to have something happen. And for me, that means I need to plan these things out. And so I went from not outlining to becoming a very, very big outliner. Mm. But I use that enough. I give myself, I kind of like, think about when you drive at night with your headlights on. You see it far enough into the head. You don't know. You can't see as well during the day, but there's a speed at which you're comfortable going. Everybody has yeah. a different speed they're comfortable doing. And for me, like I have a certain degree that I feel comfortable. If I outline, I feel ready to sit down and I won't be wasting my time because I don't want to sit down and write 100,000 words and have to throw out 50,000 words and start over. Yeah. You know? Nor do I want to sit down and spend months writing 300,000 words and to try to find the right 100,000. I'd rather write... 80 or 90,000 words that work, tweak them a little bit and do that. So for writing books, I start off with who are my characters? Do I understand my character? I don't, do I know how they solve small problems and big problems? Do I know when they walk into a room, and they're given a conflict, how would they handle it different than somebody else? And then I think up my conflict. What's an interesting conflict for them to face? I did a series called The Naturalist about a, a scientist who started hunting serial killers He's not a forensics expert. He's not a guy mm. that's used to fingerprints and stuff. He's a guy that's a, basically he's got a, a, a background in computational biology. So he looks at how you use computers to model biological systems, which is a very complicated subject on one level. But on another level, it's the kind of thing we could all sort of understand. It's like, let's make a map. Let's make a map of all the places where a tiger has hunted prey. Let's yeah. look for a pattern. Oh, you know what? Anytime somebody goes to a, an animal goes to a watering hole, that's where the tiger gets them. And so we would apply these kinds of things to find a serial killer. And so uh, I would have a very clear idea of how he would look at something. You know, my my Sloan McPherson, the police diver, she's a very practical. She's not a theoretical person. She's like, hey, we found a body in the water. She's like, OK, I'm going to go down to the bottom of that canal and I'm going to use a net to try to find every little piece of evidence I can. You know, and I'm going to look for something that people forgot or didn't pay attention to. And, oh, that, you know, there's a an alligator over there that maybe fed on something. I'm going to make it throw up. I'm going to, you know, mm. and whatever. So I think about that, how they approach it, you know, their personalities, you know, I have, you know, I'm going to be writing a team up between a character. I have Jessica Blackwood from my, uh, that series. She has her way of doing things. Theo has a different way. So that's putting the two together. And, and I spent a lot of time beforehand going, what will be interesting? How do I make this happen? Mm. Okay. So, one thing I like to do when I have the time to talk to someone is try to help somebody else out. Mm -hmm. So what would your advice be to an up-and-coming author? Um, what, what, where do you, like, yeah, what would your advice be? Where would they, where would you tell them to start? Or what would be the, the, that one thing they should focus on in the beginning, trying to, trying to get that first book pinned out? So, you know, I, I spent a lot of time analyzing what's worked for me, what hasn't, and also other people's success. And one of the things that happens is that we love narratives. We love stories about why somebody made it or somebody didn't make it. And the problem with the story is it's all the interesting parts or it's a, it's a version of things where everything makes sense. And you got to be wary of that because you'll hear somebody say like, oh, I, you know, this person showed up at this audition and they got the part. And you find out like, no, her agent was at a party with the producers, went on and on about it. They hung out, they met him, then they did the audition and they got the part. But they want the other story, not the, the behind the scenes. You know, with an author, it might be, I had this great idea for the story and I sat down and I wrote it and, you know, everybody loved it. What it isn't is 
Yeah, no, I wrote nine books over my entire life. This is not me, but like I wrote nine books over my entire life and publishers rejected every single one of them. And mm. I took this one that I, the fifth book I ever wrote, I rewrote it and that got, it, it's, that gets messy. So we don't like those stories, but those are often the truth. And my advice is step one as a writer or any sort of thing you want to do is understand how you learn and how you can get better at what you do. I started writing novels in eight years ago, professionally, or the first time I released novels. I actually started trying to write novels way before that, but they sucked because I didn't understand. I didn't pay attention to things that were important. I, I Things that I'd hear people talk about structure and character development. I'm like, yeah, I know those things are important, but I didn't realize how they didn't just happen. You have to have intentionality to it. And I looked at where things failed for me. Where did books fall apart? And books fell apart when I was in love with a premise, but I didn't have a conflict. You know, a premise is, you know, a cop in a small town. Great. There's no conflict there. Okay. Mm -hmm. Cop in a small town where everybody's a criminal and nobody trusts him. Okay. More, we're getting to a conflict because now I know he's trying to be a cop's a problem because witnesses are unreliable, nobody trusts him, etc. So now you get to the you know more of how you get to a conflict. And so I had yeah. to think things through to understand the difference between a premise and a conflict. A premise can be a starting point to find a conflict, but a premise by itself. And sometimes people go, Oh, I have a great idea for a book, and like that's a premise. What will the book be about? And like, I don't know. So steps like that were important to me. First was to understand that and have a process to get better. So what that was, was let me write something, then let me read a book on writing and understand and look, write something, analyze it, what worked, what didn't work. Now let me go write a, read a book on writing and I'll take a look at what I did before and I'll look at it through that lens and go, oh yeah, my character isn't really, it doesn't make choices, you know, things like that. And once you start to see things in the terms of conflict and characters making choices, you start to understand why movies you don't like don't work. You start mm -hmm. to see why, oh, why was this sequel weaker than the original? And you realize it's most people often don't realize why. And you go like, oh, yeah, no, the character never made any choices. Things just happened to them. So I just watched them go from point A to point B to point C. You yeah. start to have that 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 development. So have a process to get better, to say, how can I analyze where I am now versus where I am for tomorrow? Because that's critical because the next big step, number one, is have a process to improve yourself. Step two is make as much as you can write as much as you can but don't just keep writing 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 without stopping you know if if you were building a, a piece of software if you're building a code mm. you run it every now and then to see what works and what doesn't work you don't yeah. just write it and then rewrite it and rewrite it without ever testing it you know a machine if you were building you know if you're building an electric car you wouldn't build it and then just rebuild it without testing it you would see how does it break where does it break same thing can be applied to stories, to everything. Sweet. Well, Andrew, uh, I know you're a busy man. I don't want to hold on to you too long. Uh, I really appreciate you talking to me. But before we got, uh, before we get up out of here, is there anything that you want to uh, tell the people to look out for or be on the look for you got coming up? Uh, if you want to check out my book, the, the Naturalist series, you know, that's on Amazon. You can find that there. And, uh, you know, it's, a really, really fun thing to write. Uh, a big, big, uh, it was a, a big moment for me. I've had, you know, some neat successes, but that was a book that just blew up like crazy. And that's a, a fun series. There's three books and the fourth book's coming out in a month or so. So if you want to check out The Naturalist. 
All right, man. Thank you for talking to me today, hey, Andrew. I really, really me. appreciate you, man. And uh, thank you guys for tuning in, all my listeners. I love each and every last one of y'all, and I appreciate you who tune in on the daily for Thoughts About the VLDI, the podcast. And we out of here, man. Peace. Oh, bro. I really, I really appreciate